long time ago when the earth was green. And there was more kinds of animals. That is a very familiar seen. song to They'd Chicagoans. So I remember as a kid, that song would come on and then a voice and a face would come on television. It was Dr. Lester Fisher, director of the Lincoln Park Zoo forever. And then even when he retired, happily, Dr. Fisher continued forever. He recently passed away at the age of 100, actually. Uh, And we became friends because I was at the Lincoln Park Zoo where I became friends with this gentleman in the studio, his curator of mammals for many years, Mark Rosenthal. Hello, Mark. Good, uh, Good day. How are you today, Steve? Well, thank you for coming in on a Sunday. And you told me you were going to work on this project, but I never thought it would be... I mean, this is incredible. ZooAquariumVideoArchive.com. That explains what it is that even that website does. And dot org. Before, thank you. I meant to correct myself. ZooAquariumVideoArchive.org. And that's what it is. It's got everything, everything, everything you ever wanted to know about the history of zoos and aquariums. And you interview so many influential people. Zoos have changed a little bit since, well, way back when, when you began interviewing these people who you don't go way back when, really, but these people do. Well, um, no, I don't go way back when, but I was, uh, when I was at Lincoln Park Zoo, it was 36 years, so I have a fair history, and of course, when I was but a wee lad, I lived across from Lincoln Park Zoo, so every Sunday my mother, every day actually, uh, would take uh, her kid to the zoo, and so we were right across the street. So I saw a lot of things that in later life when I was at the zoo, I would talk with the keepers, and I'd say, yes, I, I remember the rabbit village, and they go, how do you know a that? What? Yeah, there was a big village with rabbits. What was, and they had, who was the mayor? It was right by the... Um, do I have to interview those mayoral candidates as well? No, it was, but it was interesting. But again, just because I had a, a long history with the zoo, and what it, was uh, Rabbit Village? Rabbit Village was where, uh, right by the duck yard, they had a place that they built a little village with stores and a church and <laughs> all kinds of things and. The rabbits would go in and out of these little houses. I never had yeah, any yeah. idea. I mean, we're talking about the 50s. And the population started at three and ended up at three million? Um, They're rabbits. They were rabbits. <laughs> but it was very popular with the kids, obviously. I imagine. I imagine. You know, so tell me about why you thought of doing this project in the first place. Um I had the good fortune to, as I call it, break bread with a lot of luminaries, uh, older directors and, and curators when I was uh, formative and, and growing up in the industry and, and learning the profession. And um, one of my colleagues said to me, you know, Mark, some of these people are are actually getting older and no one's talking to them. No one has... Uh, done anything with them uh, because once they're gone their history is gone their knowledge is gone their wisdom is gone and i did uh with a uh, gentleman uh, ken kawada from the uh then from the detroit zoo uh colleague we did a audio interview with a guy named marvin jones who was kind of a zoo historian and knew a lot of things and 
Shortly after that, Marvin passed away, but we had the audio interview, and we put a little booklet out for the profession. And then another gentleman who is a very well-known director, uh, Clayton Freiheit of the Denver Zoo, passed away, and I talked to my colleagues and said, anybody talk to Clayton? No, no one had. And I said, I really have to do something here. Is this is too valuable. People aren't doing nothing. And so um, I kind of got together with a former partner of mine, Loretta Caravette, and uh, the idea of the Zoo and Aquarium Video Archive kind of came to fruition, essentially not only to do audio interviews, because some people had already passed away and I couldn't get to them, but there were some audio interviews available, but to do... Um, Video interviews, so you would see their face and their expressions and their voice. And Did you travel all over the country to do this? Um, well, in the beginning, um, it was easier to get what I'll call the low-hanging fruit people who were here, because the I had a videographer, uh, a gentleman named uh, David Monk from Brave New Pictures, who's uh, an Emmy Award-winning videographer, happens to be a friend and lives in the city. The quality of the material is incredible in every way. The content itself, if you're interested in zoos, this is a real history of zoos in America, including Chicago, which we'll get to but also the quality as far as the quality of video. It's all television quality, and um, it you know there's a cost to doing this. Uh, but we tried to bring people into the city uh, to do the interviews, uh, for the most part. And then in certain instances, some of the professionals were getting older and couldn't travel to Chicago. So in certain instances, we would have to uh, travel outside the city to get to them. And that worked out uh, pretty well and was a fun experience. So we went to New York and Topeka, Kansas, and uh, various places when they couldn't come to us. Mm -hmm. um, we got to meet, I got to meet many, many colleagues that I had not uh, seen in a while, but I knew them, they knew me. Um, Ultimately, uh, we've done so far 32 interviews. 11 people have passed away already. Hmm. Um, What's the craziest story that you can think of that you thought, oh, my gosh, not only didn't I know that, I don't think anybody knew that. Well, I'll, okay, that's a really interesting question. The craziest story, I think, was that... Um, I interviewed the first professional director of the Honolulu Zoo and interviewed him in New York when he was 90 years old. He and his wife were in New York to go on a boat ride uh, down the Panama Canal. But he was there and I was there and we set up the interview and I'd never met him. Uh, he was 1947 director of the Honolulu Zoo, certainly before my time. And he told such fascinating stories, but the best one was that there is a goose, a bird, on the island of Hawaii, the Nene Goose. I've heard and of them, but I thought they were gone. That's endemic to Hawaii only. Uh, and in the early days, he pretty much single-handedly, obviously he had some help, brought back the Nene Goose there was only 11 birds left, 10 which were in private 
hands. One was at the zoo, mm-hmm. and he had to convince um, a Hawaiian landowner who was from old Hawaii landowners to release the birds, or some of them, and he did, and that ultimately was the stock that saved the Nene Goose. His story is riveting. I mean, I don't do it justice here, but it was a wonderful story and something I had no clue about, mm-hmm. that zoos had done things and that this individual had done it. Well, you know, uh, there are a surprise, and this is perfect, because and friends, for all our <laughs> guests, of course, 312-981-7200. You can call or you can text. And we do have a text, 312-981-7200. Uh, actually, a couple of texts that are somewhat similar, critical of zoos. So I want you to talk about how the Nene Goose is just one example of an animal that was saved from extinction altogether or reintroduced back to where they came from only because of the fact we have zoos and looking into a crystal ball, they may be the only place, unfortunately, but realistically, where some species may live in the future. I'll let you talk about that and more. This website is incredible. ZooAquariumVideoArchive.org with Mark Rosenthal on WGN. In the zoo world, he's well known, Mark Rosenthal. Uh, and, you know, what I was asking you and some texters. Honestly, and we were talking during the break, and you said, well, you asked the zoo directors about this. Why should there be zoos in the first place? And give me some examples. Well, I think that, um, number one, uh, the wild is shrinking. Uh, Animals are being, for a variety of reasons in the wild, being forced out of habitats. It's so critical. And if you think of it as a slice of a pie, zoos aren't going to do everything. But they're a certain slice of the pie that can hopefully save, educate, conserve species. And part of what we learn in the Zoo and Aquarium Video Archive, as I did these interviews, and will continue to do them, is that people are learning what they did in 1950s is different than what they are doing today. Oh, I mean, my goodness. I I would think that... If you walked into a zoo, and there probably are some in other parts of the world who are like our zoos were in 1950, you'd be horrified or at least disappointed. But it isn't 1950, and zoos aren't like that anymore. For example, I learned, and I talk at veterinary conferences about enriching, and I think you know this, Mark, enriching environments for dogs and cats. I learned all about enrichment through zoos, and I would argue that your average, you name it, Hedgehog to black bear to uh, snow monkey has far more enrichment at the zoo, any zoo, accredited zoo, uh, than our dogs and cats do at home. I think it's a question of continuing learning uh, just what you said. Uh, In the zoo profession, people have learned that um, enrichment is so very important at a variety of levels But that's not what they knew in the 1930s or the 1920s. But they're learning, and they continue to grow. And so I think zoos ultimately have a place. Uh, They can't do it all, but good zoos have a place to conserve animals, to educate people about what's going on in the wild, and to potentially use their resources in certain ways for 
reproduction of certain species and at the same time alerting people to what's going on in the wild. I mean, there's so many things to name, pangolins being decimated in the wild. Brookfield Zoo has a major pangolin breeding program to learn about these things from and Africa. Pangolin, by the way, is the species, probably wasn't, it was probably a bat, that began the whole pandemic, some people said. And they are the most trafficked species, yes. these poor animals, on the planet. And people don't even know what a pangolin is. But in China, don't they use the scales for soup that's supposed to be medicinal or some stupid thing? No, no. Uh, a lot of things, uh, parts of endangered animals, be they rhinoceros in the horn mm -hmm. or tiger bones. So you mean rhino horns really aren't ever decent? They are not to, uh, <laughs> not to my knowledge, Steve. And these things are, have been our old wives tales that have generational and it's very hard to break those kind of things. Uh, but, yeah. but zoos are, I, I hope doing those kind of things within the scope that they can to support conservation programs in the wild. The New York Zoo has tons of educational conservation work that they do uh, in the wild. Uh, so that's, the I think, part of what zoos are learning, that that's their place, is that marriage between in the wild and in captivity, but to do it in a balanced way. You know, I have a text here, just heard that several parrots perished on Sanibel Island. They were caged outside a local grocery store, and uh, the locals knew who these parrots were, uh, and that's, that's unfortunate. But I'll tell you, zoos, there are some examples of species I can think of. The golden lion tamarind, I think, uh, have been reintroduced. Uh, they didn't disappear from the wild, but their numbers were very, very low. No, National Zoo is very uh, foremost uh, in trying and doing to stave, uh, because of habitat destruction, the uh, golden lion tamarind, the Arabian oryx is mm -hmm. uh, another animal that the Phoenix Zoo had the world heard that what was left and was able to do things. You can't do it with every animal. Um, and those zoos are Nene Goose, of course, is another example. So when zoos can do captive breeding and reintroduce, um, Howlett's Zoo Park has done things with lowland gorillas in Gabun to bring them back. Gabun is a country in Africa. Yes, and, I'm, I'm and, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. And the Howlett Zoo is incredible for what they've done with gorillas. Now, I want to ask you about Chicago's own. Uh, some remember Marlon Perkins from Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. What was he like? Well, um, I had the opportunity in my career to meet Marlon uh, a couple of times. And uh, Marlon was a very gracious um, person when I met him. Uh, he was a font of information about the history of Lincoln Park Zoo. And on the website, we do have an interview uh, that I did as a young man <laughs> uh, <laughs> with, with with Marlon. I always joke. Uh, I either look like a, a terrorist or a rabbinical student, but but there <laughs> but there I was with Marlon. He was very gracious, and he he had a lot to say about uh, the history of Lincoln Park Zoo and certain things that we talked about elephants and other things. Uh, making sure curators were educated and what his philosophy was. So. Marlin was certainly a mainstay and very famous within his uh, time with um, 
the zoo profession. And I was very fortunate to have been able to have captured an interview with him. And of course, my former boss, Lester Fisher, and those other notables, the Bill Breaker from the Shedd Aquarium and George Rabb mm-hmm. uh, from Brookfield Zoo. Uh, I was able to get interviews with all of them. Um, Lester and uh, George uh, are one of the group of people that have passed away that we've talked with. So their knowledge, their information, their stories uh, are saved for future professionals, for future researchers about the zoo world. And I will say that one of the features of the Zoo and Aquarium Archive is that it's indexed, like the index of a book. So if you go to Lester Fisher's interview and you say, wonder what he said about gorillas, and you type it in, everywhere in the interview, gorillas, that will come up. And that's good for researchers to try and piece together these various interviews. All right. Give me the website one more time. The uh, website is zooaquariumvideoarchive.org, uh, and it has over 150 hours of content. Right Mark. now, there'll be more. Yeah, Mark Rosenthal. Yeah, I know you want to talk to some of the women who are leaders today in the zoo world, because back then it was, it was mostly men, but now it's changed, and there are lots of women, too. And when you do that, we'll have you back because we're out of time. Thank you very much, Steve.